All right, well, today is October 31, and my sermon title is Deadly Delusions. Not exactly a cozy topic, if you will, but something I feel like we need to address, especially this time of year. You know, this newspaper headline claims Americans are expected, this is in 2019, to splurge $8.8 billion on Halloween. Can you imagine? $8.8 billion. And I was reading just this week, too, how the numbers for this year are down, but not as down as they thought they were going to be. I think it's even still in the $8 billion range, which is incredible when you consider even just 10 years ago. 2010, not that long ago, it was only $4.8 billion. Almost doubled, not quite. And so this morning we're going to take just a moment, how did this all begin? Well, in ancient Britain and Ireland, the Celtic festival of Samhain was observed on October 31 to offer sacrifices to honor the God of the dead. Isn't that nice? It was a special day when the curtain dividing the living and the dead was thought to be lifted And so spirits of the dead could walk among the living. This was your chance, so they thought. Ghosts, witches, goblins, black cats, fairies, and demons of all kinds. And so it was during that time that people could commune with the dead about matters regarding crop expectations or health or romantic prospects, you name it. Somehow, the connection with the netherworld would give you insight to the here and the now. Then it was in the first century that the Pope attempted to Christianize the practice by making November 1st All Saints Day to honor the dead martyrs and the saints. Yet rather than eliminate the pagan practice, it only served to blend them. Because you have All Saints Day, you have All Hallows Day, would begin the night before, or we could say All Hallows Eve, Halloween is derived from. And how about this notion of trick-or-treating? I believe this goes back to the ancient Druid priests, or sorcerers, we could say, who would go from house to house demanding food for their own consumption. And they would also take some of this food and they would offer it to the dead. Again, how nice and cozy. If the village would not provide them with food, they would speak a demonic curse over the home, claiming that someone in that home would die within the next year. And so with that element of fear, they would just take advantage of people. And these druid priests or sorcerers would also carry with them a large turnip, which they would hollow out from the inside and carve a face, representing the demonic spirit they depended upon, and they'd put a little candle inside to represent the power and the knowledge that they had. And so this little turnip lighted candle would go around with them, kind of like a lantern for these priests as they went from house to house. Now in the 18th and 19th centuries, turnips weren't that prominent in America, and so the pumpkin was soon substituted for turnips. And so the name given to the spirit which inhabited the turnip was Jock, which in America became Jack, who lives in the lantern, or jack-o'-lantern. Do I need to go on? I certainly could go on. Not even living that far from Asheville, you probably have your own stories that you could share. I was buying a pair of shoes years ago, and they said, oh, these crystalled mountains. I'm thinking, I've heard enough. Some of the things that take place on Hallow's Eve or Halloween, 
are very disturbing to say the least. Now, many will think, well, Halloween is just a fun time for kids to dress up. I have nothing against kids dressing up. It can be fun to dress up. I think all of us as kids, at one point or another, you have, you know, that you pull out the old suitcase and there's scarves and hats and, and all kinds of things and a, a wig and different things. And so you dress up and dressing up is fun. And if you like to dress up and want to dress up, maybe you should have a fall festival and you can have some kind of a theme or dress up or what have you. But it can easily go beyond the innocent to the very dark very quickly. The interesting thing is I believe God saw, as he always does, the delusion, the lies, the fear, the smear. And so he placed within our very precious three angels message, within the message that we're sharing, or Doug Batchelor is sharing that we've shared many times before, things that help us to understand these delusions from God's word so we do not have to be deceived. In Adventism, there's something called the five S's. They're the things that set us apart. And if I had time, I would go through each one of these of how they are a safeguard for the time in which we're living. The sanctuary gives us a description of the full gospel. The Sabbath, who we are, our identity in Jesus Christ, that he's our creator, that he loves us. It's the seal of God that protects us from the mark of the beast and so on. The second coming, kingdom's not going to be set up here on earth as some like to suppose, but he's going to come to take us home to be with him. We have the spirit of prophecy, the added advantage, if you will, that God has always given to his people before something big is impending to help see them through and guide them through. And God has given this last day church the spirit of prophecy. But another one that we don't talk about so much, the state of the dead. And the million dollar question when it comes to the state of the dead is can the dead commune with the living? Because on the surface, it all seems rather benign. I mean, really, what difference does it make could be posed if I die and go straight to heaven, if I've claimed Jesus as my Lord and Savior, if I die and go straight to heaven, or if I sleep until he comes and calls me out of that grave. For me, my experience, if you will, will be identical. If I just die right now, I'm struck by light, next thing I see, Jesus is coming, whether I am in the grave for hundreds of years, for some thousands of years or not. So you can pose, what difference does it make? Here is the million dollar question. Can the dead communicate with the living? Because if I believe at death you go straight to heaven or perhaps to hell or to some other place, I've just left myself very vulnerable, haven't I? To any number of deceptions. Culture tells us over and over and over that when you die, you don't really die you don't go to sleep, but your soul continues to live on. This is a video, I won't play it for you, but you can still find it today on the internet of Clinton saying that his wife regularly communes with the former first lady, Eleanor Roosevelt. Like it's nothing. Gets good advice, and they have a lot in common, and so on and so forth. Lucille Ball was into making movies, but it was Carol Lombard who died in a plane crash 10 years earlier that came back from the dead and told her that she should actually go from movies, the big time, back to television. And this spirit, in my opinion, said, take a chance, honey. She did, and the rest is history. You can find books all over the place, soul sensing, how to commune with your dead loved ones, how to talk to spirits, the beginner's guide. Maybe this is where you should start. Beginner's guide for reuniting with your loved ones on the other side. On second thought, maybe not. I mean, what was the first lie in the garden? Do you remember? And the serpent said to the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Now the devil's smart. 
But I'm not sure that he's that creative. Because if it worked then, it just might work again. And again, and again. And throughout society today, throughout the media today, throughout music and movies and any number of things that we are exposed to, the lie, the hiss of the serpent is there. You shall not surely die. We have other verses. Job 7, 9 to 10. This is a good one. Write it down if you don't know it. As the cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave does not come up. He shall never return to his house, nor shall his place be known anymore. And you say, ah, pastor, I know what that says, but let me tell you about my experience. Let me tell you, I've heard so many of, quotes my experiences. Just about every adult Bible study I have with somebody, we get to this topic and they say, oh, pastor, let me tell you. And I listen. And they have some rendition of what this verse is plainly saying. He shall never return to his house. Oh, but they did return to my house. Over and over they return to my house, to which I have to try and go to these verses again and show that we need to trust God's word over my experience. And that can be a hard sell, because I saw it, Pastor. I heard the voice of my brother. I heard and I saw and the mannerisms and the things that we shared and the the secret conversations that only we had and the things that only we knew or had in common. And they knew all of those things. And does the devil not have full access to those, quote, secret conversations? Ezekiel 18, 4, the soul or person who sins will, what? Die. And we could break that apart some more, but we're short on time today. Psalm 115, verse 17, our scripture reading. Thanks for reading that for us. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. You would think that if when I die, I go directly to heaven, I would praise the Lord for allowing me to be there. Because it's by his grace that I've been saved. But no, there's no praising of the Lord. They go down into silence. Yet the prominent view of the world still continues to remain and linger. You can commune with the dead. And friends, this is a deadly delusion. And why is it so important? Because if we're misled on that simple point, we leave the door wide open for all kinds of lies and delusions straight from the pits of hell. If you brought your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to another story, rather sad story, probably not one you read to your kids at bedtime. 1 Samuel chapter 28, again in verse 3. Verse 3, now Samuel had died. Who was Samuel? Prophet of God. And all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and spiritists out of the land. So we can see very clearly there's really nothing new under the sun. Spiritists and mediums. In fact, it goes back further than this story. Leviticus 20 verse 6 says, And the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits, or we could say soothsayers, some of your translations say that, to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. You could say, well, I'm glad we don't still have that today. Well, do we? Marilyn Monroe, Peter Sellers of the Pink Panther, Denzel Washington, Robin Williams, Keanu Reeves, Heath Ledger, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Johnny Depp. They all have one thing in common. You know what it is? They have all said, by admonition of their own words, that their acting ability comes from demonic forces and described themselves as being a medium, letting the spirits fill them, and they perform in ways they never could have otherwise. Robin Williams 
went as far as to say, you know, in the old days you'd get stoned for this. Now it's just entertainment. Deuteronomy 18, 9, when you enter the land your Lord your God has given you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter. Can you imagine? Does that still happen? I chose to leave that out. In the fire who practices divination or sorcery or interpret omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells or who is a medium or spiritist or who consults the dead. Apparently, it's been around a while. The lie, the deception goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And then in verse 12, anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. Why are they being driven out? Because of that list we just looked at. God says you must be blameless before the Lord your God. And then we have this verse, a man or woman who is a medium or spiritist among you must be put to death. You're to stone them. Their blood will be on their own heads. Yet witchcraft is far from being put to death today. So returning to our story, beginning in verse 4, then the Philistines, they're the bad guys, gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped at Gilboa. And notice verse 5, when Saul saw the army of the Philistines. He was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. So he sees with his own eyes the army. He is afraid and his heart is trembling. Saul, at this point in his life, is desperate for answers, for help. He's being driven by his fear. And verse 6, and when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Now you remember the Urim and the Thummim, the Urim was yes, if there was light over that, the, the shadow over the Thummim was no, but that wasn't working, the prophets wasn't working for him, nothing seemed to work. Now be assured, the Lord never turns away a soul that comes to him in sincerity and in humility. Is that true? I think of John six thirty seven, the verse I had over the top of my classroom as a student missionary, the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Friends, that's good news. And so we could ask, why then did he turn Saul away unanswered? Well, the king, by his own act, forfeited the benefit of all the methods of inquiring of God. Number one, he had rejected the counsel of Samuel, the prophet. He had tried over and over again to give counsel. He blew it off. Number two, he had exiled David, the chosen of God. Does he accept it? He does not. Number three, he gets so frustrated and exasperated, he slays all the priests of the Lord. How could he expect to be answered by God when he has cut off all the channels of communication that heaven had ordained for Saul? And further than that, I don't believe Saul is truly seeking with a repentant heart after God. He's not here with humility. He's here in fear, in trepidation, in desperation, looking for answers. Verse 7, then Saul said to his servants, find me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. Now, wait a second. It said just a few verses before that Saul had put all the mediums out of the land. So did he? Obviously, he didn't do a very thorough job. Because if they were all gone, he would know that was no longer an option. We took care of that. But perhaps all of that was just for show. Perhaps it was for display. Outward appearance. To appear as if he's being obedient. And, but he asked his top advisors. And without blinking, well, let me go see and search and... No, they know immediately. 
like it just comes out of a holster. They just say in response, in fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor, just six miles away. Saddle up, men. God's not answering. He's not providing what I need. Fine. I'll take care of this. Let's go. Folks, in times of peril, we see over and over again that people are desperate for answers. We could call this the spirit of Barabbas. Do you remember Barabbas? He was that terribly wicked man that deserved to die for his crimes. But the cry of the people was to kill Jesus in exchange for Barabbas. Now let's be clear. The Roman power in Jesus' day was cruel. In fact, it was brutal. It was oppressive. Daniel 2 describes Rome as the legs of iron. Iron is the strongest metal. Legs have your strongest muscles. So the Roman Empire was strong and it was crushing the people. But Jesus never turned to revolution. And as a result, he was rejected by his chosen to build a kingdom in the future because that was his plan, to build a kingdom in the future rather than to overthrow the Roman power. And so the point came when they said, enough is enough. You're not delivering. We want Barabbas. Now Jesus clearly served those who were treated wrongly. Jesus clearly ministered to those who were forgotten. Those that were mistreated, those that had been rejected. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do good and seek to reverse the effect of racism or injustice or any of those things. But if we're not careful, we may find ourselves saying, you know what, I'm tired of waiting on God. He doesn't seem to be moving like he should. We want Barabbas. I wonder if in this time of national crisis, if we don't see the same spirit of Barabbas. You might say, well, where do we see that? Here's another article. Says, this is from Quartz. It says, the U.S. witch population has seen an astronomical rise. In that article, it says that researchers are telling them that there's one to one and a half million people that identify as Wiccan or involved in witchcraft. This article is interesting. Why witchcraft is on the rise? That would be a great question. And underneath there, we see Americans' interest in spell casting tends to wax as instability rises and trust in establishment ideas plummets. And perhaps the most disturbing part about this article, it's an interview with a 38-year-old witch named Diaz, and she remembers when she was growing up, and her family's spell work felt taboo. But over the past few years, witchcraft, long viewed with superstition and even hostility, has been transmitted into mainstream phenomena. That's what the article said. And so now, this 38-year-old witch instructs 8,900 other witches and even has witchy workshops. Have mercy. Just two years ago, in 2018, she had a best-selling book called Witchery, Embrace the Witch Within, Spiritual Guide magazine. I hope you don't subscribe to that one. Named her Best Witch. It's, I don't know if it's of the year or, or what the, the time, they, but she's just the best witch is what they named her. Just this week, she came out with this book, Plant Witchery. You say, what's that about? Well, the person that interviews, he says there's over 400 house plants, and then there's incense burning, and there's a human skull in the corner, and she's talking as he comes in, he says, I know already what you're thinking, I already know what you're going to ask, and she starts saying, and all these people are following you, your, what does she call them, your dead ancestral mentors, and then there's this other lady that I don't quite recognize, and, and all of this craziness. And what is it with the plants? Well, the plants have healing properties. Does that sound familiar? Maybe a plant-based diet? Have mercy. And apparently it's quite lucrative. She gets paid for her services. Her website claims that last month we had four pregnancies, 33 job promotions, 12 business startups, 12 wedding proposals, and four court wins. And this article was published in March of 2020. Jesus isn't working out for me. We want Barabbas. Astrology in the age of uncertainty. 
The article speaks of how new spirituality is the new norm, how the internet and social media have propelled astrology to the front. They cite Pew Research saying that 30% of Americans believe in astrology, a number that has not been that high since the 70s. Zodiac signs, horoscopes, the whole thing. It speaks about how times in political, of political panic, in times of crisis, people search for something to believe in. Give me answers. Is there a medium in the land? It even claims the names of Theodore Roosevelt and Ronald Reagan. Claims that his chief of staff, Ronald Reagan's chief of staff, claims that Reagan consulted the astrologer before virtually every major move and decision. Here's another one. Black Lives Matter is a spiritual movement, says co-founder Patrice Cullors. Here in 2020, the call for racial equality, I don't need to tell you, has taken center stage. There's been a loud outcry for justice, and I'm not here to say that speaking out about injustice and inequality is wrong. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. But in times of uncertainty and instability, I feel people are looking to the wrong place to conjure up spirits from the deep to help them in their cause. In this article, Black Lives Matter is a spiritual movement, says co-founder Patrice Cullors. Lifting up the names of victims is literally almost resurrecting a spirit So they can work through us, Kohler says. Does that sound a little disturbing? And so here you have a picture of pastors outside the mayor's office in L.A. in June of this year with their fists in the air as they have an interfaith memorial service for George Floyd. But what they don't realize is that their practice of calling out names of the victims and advocating for the protests and demonstrators in a kind of way to invoke their spirits. And I'll quote from the article. It is literally almost a resurrection I think I said this already, so they can work through us to get the work that we need to get done. So who are these dead people going to work through? Us. We're going to be the medium. Kohler says she grew up a Jehovah's Witness, said she was always someone who almost obsessed about black ancestors. And she says, as I got older, I started to feel like I was missing something. Ancestral worship became really important, she says, as part of the ritual that you see over and over. And and there's even YouTube videos where you can watch this being done. It's rather creepy. They recite the names of those taken by state violence before their time. And in so doing, ancestors are being called back to animate their own justice. That's a direct quote. Animate their own justice? They're dead. Oh, no, they're not. We're bringing them back. They're going to help us, they're going to protect us, they're going to be animated through us. We're going to be the embodiment of their justice. The founders of Black Lives Matter, they practice a tradition of pouring libations during their demonstration. What's a libation? It's a drink poured out in offering to a deity or God. So after each name, libations are poured on the ground or sometimes in a plant or different things as the group returns the chanted ase which stems from a faith and divination system of religion that goes all the way back to West Africa. So people are doing these things. They don't even realize what they're doing, I believe. Some do, but they're saying the name and I say, I say, and they're pouring water and doing all these things. What does it mean? I don't know, but I believe in the cause. Now again, don't hear what I'm not saying. Just like in the civil rights movement, there's a time that we should protest injustice, certainly. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do good to seek to reverse the effect of racism and injustice. But if we're not careful, we may find ourselves saying, you know what? I'm tired of the way Jesus does it. I'm tired of the results that we've had. Give me Barabbas. But Seventh-day Adventist Christians, do we want to be mixed up in this? Sadly, I saw an Adventist publication, pastor in North America who put on his billboard, Black Lives Matter. 
Do they matter? Absolutely they matter. No question. But do I want to get behind an organization that's chock full of spiritualism? I don't. New York Times, this is from 2019. Here's what being a witch really means. And here's the quote. I'm doing magic when I march in the streets for causes I believe in. Interesting. And so Saul was no different. God was silent. He was looking for answers. He heard about a witch in Endor. And so in verse 8, we pick up the story. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes. And he went and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, Please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Creeped out yet? Verse 9, And the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and the spirits from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? Is this a setup? Are you setting me up? Verse 10, And Saul swore to her by the Lord. How interesting is that? The same God, the same Lord that he has rejected. He says, I swear to you by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. And so somewhere between verse 10 and verse 11, the incantations and the moanings and the groanings begin. And then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. Now notice a little word there, bring up Samuel. If we take the traditional view of what happens to you when you die, and if we would hold the idea that Samuel was an upright, godly man, a prophet of God, shouldn't it read differently? I mean, shouldn't she bring down Samuel? Verse 12, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me for your soul? And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? Notice a few other keys here. Verse 12, when the woman saw Samuel. Who sees Samuel? The woman. And who's pleading, what do you see? Saul. Saul doesn't see anything. And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. Should have said descending from heaven, according to everybody's thinking on death. So he said to her, what is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up and he's covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived, there's another key word, perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. And then it says, now Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me? By bringing me up. Do you notice some inconsistencies here? Here again, why did you bring me up and up and up? It doesn't even fit the whole Narrative that they're trying to provide for us. It should be down, come down, come down. Saul doesn't see. He's bowing down. Verse 15, it says, Now Samuel should be in quotation marks. I put them in my Bible. He said to Saul, Why do I put quotation marks? Because I don't believe it's Samuel. And then it says, And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me, and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called you, that you may reveal to me what I should do, O prophet, that I never listened to when you were alive. And so verse 16, Then Samuel said, So why do you ask me, saying the Lord has departed from you, and become your enemy? Stop. Right there is the first bold-faced lie of the devil. The Lord has become your enemy. Friends, that's a bold-faced lie. God is never your enemy. He's never a revengeful tyrant. He's never unforgiving. He never presents our case as hopeless. He longs for us to come to him as repentant and humble. But here now this spirit, this demon, is playing tricks on Saul and saying the Lord has become your enemy. Verse 17 
And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Now Samuel really did say those words. So here we have lies. Here we have some truth. Verse 18, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Where's that? Are they going to the same place? The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. And then verse 20, immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. Just what the devil wants. To discourage, to twist the truth, to take away all hope, and to leave him even more afraid than when he started. And then if we skip down to verse 24. Now when the woman had fattened the calf to the house, and she hastened to kill it, and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it. So she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they arose and went away that night. Isn't it interesting that the story of Saul ends precisely the way the story of Judas does? And he went out, and it was night. Because it's always night when you step away from the light and listen to the darkness. Halloween is always in the shadows of night. And so here is the question. Can the dead communicate with the living? If you believe the serpent's hissing lie in the garden that when you die, you do not die, you have to answer yes, but of course. However, if you follow the teachings of Jesus and Holy Scripture, that when you die, you go to sleep, to be awakened one day by a resurrection, then you know the answer is no, absolutely no. The dead cannot commune with the human race. So then who is this Samuel that arises out of the earth to terrorize this desperate king? 1 Timothy 4.1 In latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And who are these deceiving spirits? Who are these demons? Revelation 12.9 tells us, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil, and Satan who deceives the whole world. And so you have loyal angels to him. They become demons. And they're cast to the earth with Lucifer, who becomes Satan. Who else would be lying to Saul about God and about death? It would be the deceiver and his hordes. And so in this story that we've just read, I see four demonic realities. Reality number one, demons impersonate the dead. It's not just high schoolers when the teacher steps out for a minute that impersonate their teacher. No, it's demons that impersonate dead people. The Bible teaches you simply cease to exist. At death, the body goes to dust. The breath of life goes back to God who gave it. And the devil cannot resurrect anybody, so he has to impersonate the deceased. And you might say, yes, but... Yes, but seeing is not believing, friends. And if that is the point that your faith gets off, if that's where you step off, if you will, your faith will only take you so far. And then you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt you'll be deceived. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Demonic reality number two, demons lie. In fact, Jesus himself said in John 8, 44, when the devil lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. He lied to Eve, he lied to Saul, he lies to you and to me. You're no good. You're garbage. You don't amount to anything. That was worthless. That was a fail. Epic fail. Why don't you just end it? Whose voice is that? None other than the voice of the liar himself. He has other lies too. Oh, it's not a big deal. In fact, it's harmless, really. I mean, look around you. Everybody else is doing it. Why not? Go ahead. Try it. It's fun. You'll enjoy it. The reality is he hates you. 
and he lives for your destruction, and he will lie to you through his teeth. Demonic reality number three, demons mix truth with error. I mean, in our story, this demon quoted some of the very words of Samuel, but then he twisted the words in order to tarnish the last bit of hope that Saul had. Twist. Demonic reality number four, demons transact business with the currency of fear. That's why he's a roaring lion. All he wants for you is to be afraid, to cower, to run. And so he works hard to intimidate. The reality is the devil has to mask true reality. Because the reality, his dominion has been shattered at the cross. He has to hide it. And so he intimidates you. He's like the bully on the playground. Some clothing market got the crazy idea to make a t-shirt that said in really big red letters, Satan. And you can walk into a place and read that. And you can say, man, am I in the wrong place? And then you look a little closer and in small letters it says, has been defeated. Folks, that's not how you make that t-shirt. If there's any t-shirt owners here, you put up here in really tiny letters, Satan has been defeated. That's what the t-shirt needs to say. Calvary was the shattering of the demonic dominion on this planet. The war has been won. Don't you be intimidated if you have Jesus on your side. 1 John 4 verse 4, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And who's the he, the first he in this verse? Jesus Christ. If Jesus is living in you, I hear all kinds of things about, well, maybe we shouldn't pray out loud because the devil hears and this and that. Friends, when you say the name of Jesus, they flee. They cannot stay, nor do they want to. Jesus is your power. Revelation 12, verse 11, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, that's code word for Calvary, and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Friends, this is the truth. Don't ever let the devil intimidate you and make you think he has a right to you. He has zero, not a no right to you at all. Calvary's blood has been shed to win you back. You belong to another king. But there's still something here in this story that we need to look at. A little message here. Maybe we've gotten the hint. Who brought this message to Saul? S-A-T-A-N. Satan, that's who. But there's a, a hidden message. Maybe not that hidden, but it's easy to overlook. It was those last two verses. Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house. You may say, I don't see any message tucked in there. Fatted calf. Do you know why people have fatted calves? We just go to the grocery store today. You know why they get the calves fat and plump and juicy? Because they're looking forward to the day of slaughter. There is a fatted calf in this story, only it's not the calf. It's the king who's being fattened for the day of slaughter, his own slaughter. Just hours away now. And I believe in a similar way the human race today in 2020 is being fattened. A generation being fattened by Satan and his demons for the impending day of slaughter. You might say, come on, I'm not getting fattened. Are you kidding? There are so many shows and movies and series and I don't want to put their pictures on the screen. Perhaps you've gone to some of these places, you know, on internet to pick whatever, and it just assaults you. It comes out of the screen to grab you. Names like Lucifer, the series. Why do I want to watch a series on Lucifer? This is not a truth-based, Bible-based series. We have shows called The Medium or Ghost Whisperer. They're naming shows Supernatural. I mean, you name it, there is nothing sacred anymore. And it's everywhere, and it's not just in what we watch, but it's what people are putting in their ears, in their earbuds, in their cars. 
there's music lyrics where you're essentially inviting a demon to inhabit you. I don't know what it is. I'm just bopping to the thing. And I'm, I think I know the words and blah, 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 good rhythm. Yeah, this is great. What are you doing? You're inviting the devil in is what you're doing. I mean, if David could play the harp for Saul to drive away a demon, can I play something in my car radio that invites the demon in? You say, well, what's the big deal? I'll show you the big deal. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 16. I know we have to wrap it up. You have a casserole ready for slaughter. Revelation chapter 16, verse 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth. Frogs was the last plague that they were able to fake, by the way. Coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. You might say, who is this? Spirit of prophecy tells it's Catholicism, it's Protestantism, and it's paganism or spiritualism. It's those three. And they all are united under two main issues, Sunday sacredness and immortality of the soul. And their aim at the close of time is to stand down Christ himself. It is the earth taken captive by Lucifer and his hordes. And so we keep reading for the spirit of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth, out of the whole world, and gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. So here we have this huge climax. And here we have these two main issues. And here we have performing signs and miracles and all these things that demons are doing. Verse 15, Behold, I am coming quickly as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And then verse 16, And they gathered them together to the place in Hebrew called Armageddon. Here is the big showdown between Christ and Satan. And they're pulling out all the stops. And in that moment, if the human race that has been fattened for so long with all this spiritualism and all this garbage and everything they see in movies and everything they hear, and then they're experiencing it for themselves, everything, all of their senses are going to tingle and say, this is legit, this is for real. And he has them just like that. Well, but God's word says, forget you, I know what I've seen. Matthew 24, 24, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Friends, the test will come so razor sharp close that even his friends can be fooled. And if the demons can impersonate the dead as with the witch of Endor, do you suppose the prince of darkness himself might attempt to impersonate And I wonder who that might be at the end of time. Who would he impersonate for the day of slaughter? 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14, And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Not long ago, Time magazine devoted an eight-page spread to its cover story on miracles and concluded, People are hungry for signs. This is a no-brainer, isn't it? People want signs. Let me read you this quote, Great Controversy 624, As the crowning act... This is the cherry on top. The crowning act in the great drama of deception. Satan himself will personate Christ. In different parts of the earth, Satan will manifest himself among men as a majestic being, dazzling brightness, resembling the description of the Son of God given by John in the Revelation. Look here, Pastor, you can read about it. It's identical. The glory that surrounds him is unsurpassed by anything that mortal eyes have yet beheld. The shout of triumph rings out upon the air. Christ has come. Christ has come. The people prostrate themselves in adoration before him while he lifts up his hand and pronounces blessing upon them as Christ blessed his disciples when he was here upon the earth. Does that scare you just a bit? If you're basing things on your feelings, you're going to be right there. What you see, what you hear. You're going to be right there. And it's going to be everything within our power that says, I know that's what I see, but this is what God's word says. I know that's what I hear, but this is what God's word says. Later on, same page, 
This is the strong, almost overmastering delusion. It was so strong, so incredibly, overwhelmingly strong. It was all I could do to keep claiming the promises of God about the state of the dead and over and over. This isn't it. This isn't it. Believe our senses, trust in the scriptures. We can't have it both ways. We'll either believe what we see or believe what he said. Choices that start, and I believe the stakes will be eternal. So what's the solution? Great controversy in this same section. Next page over. Only those who have been diligent students of the scriptures and who have received the love of the truth will be shielded from the powerful delusion that takes the world captive. Scriptures, they're the safeguard. There'll be a time they don't feel like it. The wave of pressure will be overwhelming, but will we continue to sing that little kid song we learn, some of us? The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. I hope we're still doing that song in our class. The B-I-B-L-E. That's what we're going to be singing with tears running down our face, holding on to it while we don't know what's going on around us. Christ himself faced an attack of demons. On the burning sands of the wilderness after 40 days of fasting, you realize an angel of light showed up pretending to be from heaven. And when Christ defeated Satan on his own ground, what was the weapon of Jesus? It is written. That was his weapon of choice. He didn't flex muscle. He didn't say, do you know who I am? Do you know who my dad is? No, he said, it is written. Man and women shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Friends, the Bible and the Bible only. And that's it. That's going to be our test at the close. What I see versus what God's word says. Have you ever taken a final exam? I know you have. There's that tipping point in your school experience when you didn't have to study before, but you have to start studying now. And then there's that point, perhaps, in medical school or whatever, this is the test. Maybe even today you still wake up in cold sweats over the test that would decide everything. And how do you prepare for that? Well, I'm just going to listen to a bunch of rock music and go to bed late. And No, you study. And you study and you study. All of a sudden, you're, you're rocking out friends or listening to classical. Well, the study was done. They just want to score well on the test. And it's not just for a few hours before or five minutes before. Some of these tests, it's weeks, months, even a year plus before. Friends, a final exam is coming. The pass fail. And it will be so strong that your eyes will fool your mind and it's over. Calf will be slaughtered. But I submit to you that this book is your only hope in Jesus Christ. And you have time. We have time. Use the time to read the book, to feed on the book, devour the book. Well, I already studied this morning. Fine, study again before you go to bed. Study some in the afternoon time. Study the book. It will be a safeguard in time of crisis. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to strongly urge you and tell you that by Jesus' grace, consume the book. It is written. The Bible and the Bible only. Will we follow it? If so, we don't need to fear. We don't need to be dismayed. We don't need to be perplexed because we serve a God that loves us so much. He gave us everything we would need to make it through. Study the word. Dear Lord, the Bible and the Bible only. Our master himself, the king that we worship, that was his only, his only strategy against the angel of light, that deceiver who was out to destroy him. It is written. Lord, there are many opinions floating around this planet about what happens at death, but your word is clear. Death is merely asleep, and that you alone are the resurrection and the life. Your word is truth, so Lord, let us cling to this book. And may every man, 
woman and child here together stand firm in Christ for you on that day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.